Verið velkomin kæru hlustendur. Ég heiti Guðrún Svafa og þið eru að hlusta hlaðarbið tæknilega síð. Við hjá Órugó leggjum mikla áherslu á að tala við áhugaverða og fræðandi einstaklinga í tækniheiminum og einnig læra af fólki og deila okkar hugviti og þekkingu. Í þættinum í dag er fókus okkar allur á öryggi, það er stafrænt öryggi, tölvuglæpi og hvernig við getum varið okkur gegn ógnum og netinu. Til þess að upplýsa okkur um þessi mál tekur Alex Moyle stutt viðtal við Charlie McMurdy sem er einn helsti netöryggisjarfræðingur heims í dag. Charlie var hjá okkur í síðasta mánuði með vefvar sem að hún kallaði ekkert annað en verður árið 2021 ár netárása. En Alex náði henni á spjall í lok vefvarpsins til þess að fá hana til að koma líka í podcastið þannig að þeir sem að mistu kannski af vefvarpinu sjálfu geta fengið fræðslu og smjörþefin af helstu málum sem varða netöryggi í dag. Charlie á mjög áhugaverðan fyrirlabaki en hún var stjórnandi yfir efnahags- og netglæpadeild Lundunarlaugruglunar Skotland Yard í um 32 ár. Setna var hún ráðgjafi í netglæpum meðal annars fyrir PricewaterhouseCoopers. En við sem erum ekki hakkarar eða sérfræðingar í netöryggi eigum kannski örlítið erfitt með að átta okkur að fullu á þeim ógnum sem við stöndum frammi fyrir á netinu alla daga og kannski nákvæmlega hvernig fyrirtækjum stendur ógn af þessu. Sumur hugsa En ég er ekki að fela neitt, af hverju ættir einhverju að ráðast á mig eða jafnvel af hverju ætti ég að vera að verja mig. Þessum spurningum svara Charlie meðal annars í spjallinu hér á eftir og fjallar meðal annars um að tilanka sér svo kallað öryggis hugarfar. En flest könnust við við mótífið eða stefið um hinn típiska hakkara. Hakkarinn er yfirleitt sýndur sem ungur karlmaður, mögulega örlítið félagslega einangraður, Hann setur fyrir framan tölvuna allan daginn, er í hettupeisu, fölur og hörund, borða skyndibita og hakkar sig inn og stelur gögnum, peningum eða hverju sem honum sýnist. Hins vegar eru sumir góðir, eins konar nútíma hróa hettir, en aðrir eru með illan ásetning. En þetta er svona stereotípan af hakkara sem við sjáum í bíómyndanum. Þetta er ef til veit mjög næf hugsun um hakkara og netglæpi sem er jú skemmtilegt afþreðingarefni í Hollywoodmyndum. En þá hugsum við hver er raunveruleikinn sem við stöndum frammi fyrir í dag. En með aukinni stafrætni umbreytingu fyrirtækja ekst þörfin á nýja nálgun í varnir kerfa og gagna og þá sérstaklega með tilkomu COVID. En netárásir hafa margfalt aukist undanfarið. Sérstaklega svo kallaðar gagna gísla árásir, eins og sú sem var gerð nýverið á Colonial Pipeline í bandaríkjunum. Í svoleiðis árásum eru tölvukerfi fyrirtækja í raun tekin gíslingu og þeim gert að greiða fyrir gögnin og þetta verður algengara og jafnvel hlaupa á tugum árása hérlendis samkvæmt sérfræðingum okkar hjá Órigó. En þá eru það góðu fréttirnar. Nýverið saminaðist Órigó og netöryggisfyrirtæki Sindis undir merkjum Sindis. Markmiði hér er að búa til sterka einingu sem býður upp á heildstæða stafræna öryggistjónustu, ráðgjöf og einni þróun fáuðustu varna gegn netárásum og gagna og auðkennistjóbnaði. Um 20 sérfræðingar í stafrænu öryggi starfa í nýju einingunni og beita sér að því að veita bestu og heildstæðustu öryggistjónustu og ráðgjöf sem völ er á í dag. En þá skulu vinda okkur í spjall Alex og Charlie McMurdy.
Welcome to another Arico podcast. Now, unusually, this podcast has been recorded straight after our webinars. Earlier in the year, we did a research with leaders of Icelandic businesses, and 90% felt this year would be a year of more cyber attacks. So we went out and we found one of the world's leading experts in cybersecurity, Charlie McCurdy. And she gave a fantastic webinar on the threats that we face around cybersecurity and how businesses should handle them. But as was often the case in our webinars, we had more questions than we could handle. So Charlie has kindly agreed to be a guest on the podcast to answer some of the questions that we got in the webinar. And if you want to watch the original webinar, then click on the link below and you can sign up and watch the playback. So hello, Charlie. Hi there. Well, thank you very much for a really informative webinar. But for the benefit of the podcast guests, could you just tell us a little bit about your career as a crime fighter before it moved into being an e-crime fighter? Oh, only only a little bit. Um, okay, a very, very quick overview. Uh, 32 years law enforcement, uh, primarily in serious and organised crime. So on the flying squad dealing with armed robbers, uh, running murder investigations, art and antiques, stolen antiquities, stolen vehicles being shipped abroad. Um, latterly, uh, as head of fraud squad at Scotland Yard um, and setting up partnerships with industry and then lobbying um, way back in 2005, 2006, uh, when we started to see the internet being used for large-scale money movement primarily, um, lobbying to get funds, uh, 30 million out of UK government to set up our National Police Cybercrime Unit to deal with cyber attacks that were causing national impact, national harm, um, and going after some of the bad guys, doing the arrests, but only by doing that with partnership with industry. So bringing in industry to work with us, to share intelligence, to share knowledge, capability. Um, so some of the antivirus companies, some of the banks, um, bringing in cyber specials, so swearing in industry partners to work as my cyber special constables um, wow. and interns and universities. Um, so always about how we deal with this massive problem um, with the limited police resources that we'll always have. Challenging because policing, tip, traditional policing is always very local, isn't it? And, and maybe national, but, but cybercrime is an international endeavour. Yeah, and, you know, it's difficult, as you say, because, you know, most police forces have their policing priorities. They deal with their local community, um, whereas cyber, you've got suspects internationally, potentially, you've got infrastructure internationally, and you've got the harm, the impact ha happening internationally. So you need to have that global outreach to actually deal with the problems. Okay. And, and so we've got a few questions from the audience and we've got some, some, some great ones. And I think I've broken the questions into a few topics. So the first one is around sort of the cyber secure mindset. And, and, and the first question is, why do leaders in organisations struggle to fully appreciate the ongoing threat of cyber crime? I think some of it is a lack of engagement so if you're not engaging with organisations that are producing the threat assessments, that's, that's one issue. But also businesses that think, why would somebody attack me? You know, I sell 
know, toilet rolls or I, I only produce widgets that are, you know, parts of vehicles. Um, so, but that may be critical and that may be a way into, through the supply chain, into another organisation or just stealing credentials or, you know, that intellectual property that you produce. I think I mentioned in the webinar, you know, climate change data, you know, what, why would anybody want to attack that? But changing the integrity is an issue. So you have to think what you've got, who might want it, um, and where might that lead to? And I think part of that is often the most valuable thing businesses have got <laughs> is actually the data on their customers, right? And actually that customer data isn't of value directly to that criminal, but who they sell it to and what they can do with it, with it, what they can do with it after that. Yeah, and they mash up data as well. So it may be that you only hold certain pieces of data, but the bad guys, they run sites where they'll add those pieces of data to other pieces of data that they've stolen from elsewhere um, to make them full field data, and then that's far more valuable. So perhaps medical data, um, you know, how valuable is that? We've seen lots of attacks recently on the health services you know, that's, fasc that's fascinating. And I guess the difference is because it's cyber, there's no fingerprints. So say, for example, if I went in my front door and I saw a scratch by the lock, I'd notice that, right? And I would suddenly know that someone was trying to attack me. I've got my house as a back gate and I have another gate behind that back gate. Sometimes I find the first back gate's been opened. Uh, and, and do you think that the lack of physicality and the lack of physical traces of potential attacks means people don't really think it's relevant to them. Yeah, it comes back to that liability. But also, if you're not looking, um, then you're not going to find it. We all know you can you know, put the relevant tools in place and the relevant defences in place. But I think, you know, the, the, you mentioned mindset. It used to be a mindset about, you know, protecting that data, um, you know, putting up these big barriers. But there's always got to be with any business, any organisation, any infrastructure, there's got to be a way in and a way out, your analogy. There's got to be a front door. So there's always going to be that vulnerability. Mm -hmm. You have to expect you have a vulnerability. And we're seeing more and more vulnerabilities um, now with Internet of Things, everything yeah. being connected onto our infrastructure. So the mindset is probably not so much about, you know, shoring up the front door, putting the walls up, but being prepared to identify when a bad guy comes through the door and what your response will be. Well, often we're used, we're using an example, right? We've got a front door and a back door and we've got a couple of windows. That's pretty easy to protect. But I guess if you think of organisations, the number of other external organisations they connect to, so the growth of SaaS software, there's sort of like I connect my CRM to... A, a, another software that might provide analytics that is a, that is a door to my that's a door to my heart right and then we've got every member of staff will be logging into things externally so that's another door and a window so in some ways it becomes mind-blowing when you think everything that touches the outside world and every individual and every interaction that interacts outside world is effectively an opportunity for someone to get in yeah, and more and more connect connectivity taking place. You know, your car now having um, connectivity, talking payment system, so you can drive through toll gates and the automatic payment happens and, you know, um, your car activating the security on your house as you pull into the drive. And so all this connectivity is happening 
But you, and, and the thing is, is do you, just you mentioning like auto payments as you go through tolls, I'm thinking, can I create a virtual toll booth so every time a car drives past, I get four euros? <laughs> One of the things we spoke about in the webinar is that the difference between IT, which is relatively set it up, manage it, it's more like, I guess it's more like Iceland, which is you've got a hard crust on the surface, but you've got a lot of uncertainty and pressure building below. And that lava underneath the crust is really the attacks that's waiting to happen. And it's always moving and shifting and pressures building in different areas. Is that a, is that a, a suitable analogy, would you say? Yeah, I know you like your volcano analogy and it, it's really relevant. But yeah, it is a movable beast. Um, and you don't know where it's it's going to explode next. So um, that's why it, it, it isn't a, we've put cyber in place, we've put security in place, because that changes. It's right. very dynamic. Okay. And you need to be, you know, you need to, the tempo. Um, I touched on the Olympics. You know, cybersecurity, you have to have, it's like a beating drum. You have to have that pulse constantly dealing with attacks, threats, you know, uh, that movable beast. And sometimes when you know that there is more of this stuff going on, you have to increase the, the tempo, if you like. So but Emotionally for organisations, that, that sounds like there's almost an ongoing emotional input. So someone in the organisation has to be continually thinking about and being aware of security because of its evolving, evolving nature. That sounds quite potentially heavy lifting for an organisation? No, it should be the same as housekeeping. You should be, you know, um, new members of staff joining an organisation. We have to make sure that they're aware of what they should do, what they shouldn't do, the appropriate training in place. Um, you know, leavers and joiners is a classic policy. You know, staff leaving the organisation, making sure you're doing, again, the housekeeping. So it needs to be, it's an integral part of the business. But, you know, we, we do tend to focus more often than not on, you know, cyber's bad and cyber security and it's costly and, you know, it, it's this big problem. But it can also be quite a good business generator. If you have uh, a fit for purpose, business that you can say I've got my staff they are trained they are constantly refreshed we've got good security in place we tick a few boxes then you know people should be giving you the business rather than your competitors who can't demonstrate they are fit for purpose and that's interesting obviously we've got some large companies in Iceland but we've got some smaller companies in Iceland that like to sell to bigger companies around the world and, and I know a lot of, uh, in big companies, they have a CISO, Chief Information Security Officer, and one of the key parts of their roles is actually the cyber supply chain. So what you're telling me is to be able to evidence your internal processes and your diligence around how you manage data, that might actually be able to help you win more business because you can prove that we take it seriously. Exactly. Yeah, business development. So um, otherwise, you know, other organisations won't want you engaging, forming part of their supply chain because you present a vulnerability to them. And are um, bigger organisations looking at that more? Are you, are you finding in the work that you do? Yes, yes, yes. Um, and, you know, the liability aspect comes into that as well. So um, it's, it's most definitely something that we've seen globally. No, you, you won't engage law firms. A good example, law firms. You know, are you going to deal with that law firm that hasn't got appropriate security training, 
processes, policies around managing your data because they, they hold really rich amounts of data. Especially, for example, lawyers, a lot of professional services now, you've got individuals working from home. So they, they're now using home networks, which are naturally more vulnerable. But yet on their laptops at home, they've got really sensitive documents on the same Wi-Fi network that their kids are basically using TikTok right, and, and social media. And one of the things I was told to do by a friend of mine who was in, in cyber was says when your kids start using phones and their own laptops, you need to create your own Wi-Fi network for them. And your work, you have your own Wi-Fi network for work to at least create a, a little firewall. Is it things like that that you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, it's the networks, it's the software, it's the security you've got in place, but it's also, you know, the physical hardware, the devices. You mentioned about, you know, the burglar. Um, well, you have got a device, a laptop at home. What's your home security? So it's thinking in the round. You can't just think, you know, tech. this isn't just a tech issue. You have to think about people, policy, process, um, premises. So it's all these different components that need to come together. But okay. yeah, remote working does create... Um, more difficulties, more vulnerabilities that the bad guys can exploit. So if I could just ask a question about the London 2012 Olympics. So the nature of that is you're going to be dealing with a lot of bureaucrats. You're going to be dealing with a lot of people that whose focus is around the operations, but not necessarily the risks associated with what they do. Did you ever get leaders that go, oh, we've bought something for that, so there's no problem? I think perhaps if I can turn it the other way round, um, the challenge was to actually say how much needed to be spent to deal with how much of the threat is out there. I'll take it away from the Olympics, but, you know, at Fairground, um, International Fairground, um, Chief Exec, uh, if you can tell me that, you know, I need to spend this amount to stop somebody dying, I'll spend it. But how much money do I need to spend just in case we come under attack. Um, so it's very difficult to, and CISOs face the challenge to say, how much defences do you need to put in place to stop something happening? Because something can happen, even if you spend you know, millions and millions. Right. So, and, and I guess the, you will always spend money to stop someone dying, but someone potentially breaking in how much harm? How do you quantify that harm? Um, so it might be your organisation stops trading for a number of hours or days, but what's the external harm? Your reputational damage, um, you know, the harm to your staff. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's very difficult to quantify. And, you know, just buying kit, um, quite often we would find organisations and they'd, they'd approach you and say, you know, I want to be, you know, I want security around this and I want to stop fishing and I want to, you know, be denial of service, um, DDoS resilient. I want to buy kit. Well, it's not just buying the kit. It's the kit, the training, the policy. Go back, that mantra. It's all the other bits that need to go with it. I was speaking to one of our, our sort of cyber practice leads the other day and they said it's, it's firstly looking at what you've got, then finding out what you don't have. But most importantly, it's about finding out how what you've got connects to all the other things that you've got. Like 365 has cyber capability in it. All the tools you've got have got some, but it's if they don't connect together, what you were basically saying on the talk was that 
there is people out there whose jobs it is to find out where systems don't work well together and to exploit that crack. Yeah, but I mean, pen testers, that's what they do. And you can, companies employ pen testers to identify, you know, you might have a crack there. Um, but as long as you know that and you can put, you know, you might say, well, that's a risk that I'm willing to take. I, okay. I'm more concerned about, you know, making sure there's no cracks over that side. But it's that awareness. And unless you're looking, if you don't know, you can't put the appropriate security in place. We're not saying right. everything has to be 100% shored up. It's knowing what the risks are, knowing what you've got in place, as you say, knowing where the gaps are, and then assessing that and putting the appropriate measures in place. And sometimes you might choose to have a risk, right? There is going to be higher risk areas. It's being conscious of that. So so the last topic of conversation where a lot of our questions came in is, is generally the weakest link in any sort of cyber protection is the human beings. Me, me. I love dogs for question mark. You know, everyone's got like this standard password. Then when they're forced to, they put a number on and now everyone's got to have a special digit. So they put an exclamation mark on the end of it. And and so the the people are the the weakest parts of it. So so we've got quite a few questions. So uh, Guthrun Vaka Helga Dottir, she asked, what do you recommend in terms of training for employees within an organisation? Training's really boring. Most people hate training um, and they switch off. Any training, I think um, you can incentivize, you can try and make it fun. Um, any of these modules where, you know, you click the link while you're drinking your coffee over there, and <laughs> just, you know, click through. Um, I saw somebody was telling me, well, we just screenshot all the training modules. So you screenshot them. So that's the answers when it comes to it. It doesn't go in. So it needs to be, you know, it needs to be a bit engaging. It needs to be real world context. It helps if it's more relevant to the individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, so instead of talking about, you know, cyberspace and this, you know, cyber tech, 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 if you can put it into real world terms relevant to that person. And, that, and that's where sometimes the limitations of e-learning is that it's quite flat. But when a manager then applies it to that individual's jobs, because most people don't go out there going, I want to make my phone vulnerable. They just don't even know the things that they do that are of risk uh, in, in the digital world. And they don't understand the impact um, you know, clicking on that link, um, oh dear, yeah, I'll, I need to report it. But what is the impact of doing that? What's the potential disaster that might happen? So, okay. yeah, making it relevant, making it a bit bit more um, fun and constantly doing it, you know, doing it, but tweaking it each time. Because this is the third question that, that we got from Guthrun. How should an organisation go about testing their employees and their their resilience in in, in sort of cyber world? Well, constant assessment. So you need to look at the organisation. There's no point training all these people. Um, We've had it with COVID, you know, doctors and nurses that are going out doing injections uh, and they've had to go through the same training as I would. Um, these, These are really qualified individuals. So, you know, the training has to be appropriate Um, You don't want to have it too high or too low. It needs to be relevant, but you need to assess the requirements throughout the organisation. And don't just think, you know, it's it's them guys over there that need the training because they're dealing with the techie stuff. 
it's the HR, it's the marketing team, you know, it's all these people that will have a part to play as and when an attack takes place. But one thing with organisations as well, everybody is on social media, everybody's tweeting, everybody's saying, so you will never keep an incident or a breach quiet as soon as somebody hears about it, if they haven't been told, they're not to put it in the public domain. And also, I think that then leads leads employers to sort of more education around what should you be posting on social media. So don't post when you go on holiday. Just think about what you're sharing and whether someone might be able to, to, to use that. Uh, another question from Guthrum, because she had a few, which were, right. which were fantastic. What's your stance on uh, phishing simulations? So organisations deliberately trying to catch out their, their employees? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're quite prevalent. Um, they're used, but it's not, I think, catch out individuals. If people know that there may be simulations, I think they're useful because, you know, it raises the awareness, it makes people think, and it identifies vulnerabilities. It's part of that assessment process in organisations. But, no, you don't want to send out phishing and just identify, you know, 50% of the company um, fell foul of this, you know, bad people. Um, You need to use that information, that intelligence, to actually help those staff become more aware. If you were a CEO, Charlie, and you were thinking, right, okay, I need to think about cyber more seriously. Maybe I've got a medium-sized business. I might have 20, 30 people. I'd maybe have one person looking after IT. Where would someone start? Where would they start if they're looking to start thinking about these things more seriously? So I think I mentioned that earlier um, in my, what have you got? Who wants it? Who's got access to it? Um, What have my competitors got in place? Because I want to be better, more secure than they are. Um, And I want to reassure people that I'm engaging with, my customers, my staff, um, my clients, that I have got really good, appropriate measures in place. So, yeah, it's just that whole awareness, doing the right thing, doing a proportionate response. Fantastic. Well, Charlie, you've been a a fantastic guest. Uh, As I mentioned on the webinar, our our cyber practice is already this year uh, seeing a big influx of business. We're we're doing a lot of cyber assessments for people, as you said, around sort of finding out what we've got, what haven't we got, how well does what we've got work, whether it be two-factor authentication, virus, firewalls, malware protection. And and I think there is more awareness of, of the dangers of this now. And and hopefully you're part of raising that awareness, not only for our customers, but just for the industry uh, as a whole. So, Charlie, if people have enjoyed what you've spoken about and uh, they want to sort of see some of the things that you post, because I know you post on, on social media and that sort of thing, where would, where would they find you? Drop me an email. No okay. problems with that. So charlie at macmurdy, um, mcmurdie.co.uk. Fantastic. Well, Charlie, thank you very much. You've been a fantastic guest uh, for the webinar and for the podcast as well. And hopefully our paths cross again soon. Thanks, Alex. Wasn't Charlie fantastic? This is our second podcast around the topic of cybersecurity. What I love about cybersecurity is it's not just about a technology widget that does A to give you B. It's about how you harness not only technology but the humans within an organization to manage the risks that you face on a day-to-day basis. As Charlie says, 
You can't manage every risk, but it's about being aware of what you do and the risks that it exposes you and your organisation to. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast and please click subscribe below if you'd like to be informed of the next podcast we've got coming up. Bye.